Welcome and thanks everybody for coming out to this uh, special presentation and interview with Raven and Stephanie Taylor Gramasi. Uh, thank you all. For, thank you both for coming oh, out. Our this pleasure. Be great. Happy to. Um, I think this is an exciting opportunity because uh, the two of you have been coming to fairy cons uh, for years now, but uh, you know, but you're always um, you're always giving presentations about your wisdom teachings and about the work you do, and I I really like to have an opportunity, especially on this Friday, sort of uh, leading into the weekend, of doing a sort of overview about your careers and about who you are and how you got here. And just sort of a, a an introduction to who are huh? Raven Gramassi. and Stephanie. You know, who are the Gramassis? And because I think that I think in a lot of cases with uh, with pagan elders and pagan teachers, we uh, we don't really think about how they how they came to be and where they, how they got made. And mm. you know, and I and I think that's important. I think that's important things to know because uh, we take for granted that these these wise people just sort of appear. But I think there's a I think there's an important process that brings you to where you are now, where you're sharing your teachings with other people. So, um, I guess I'd really, you know, just to get things started, because mm -hmm. I, I want to talk as little as possible, and I want you guys to talk as much as possible. <laughs> so, um, I really want to kind of start at the very beginning. I, you know, I was 17 when I uh, got into witchcraft, and uh, which was you know hundreds of years ago. But um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I always feel like what the witchcraft scene and pagan scene and occult scene must have been very different when you first got into it. So I'd like, I guess I, w I really want to start at the very beginning. So, you know, when did, when did this all start for you? What was, like, what was the impulse that led you from being, you know, just from stepping out of one world, I guess if you want to mm -hmm. call it the mundane world or you want to call it the 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 sort of the general consensus of what is our world and and when did you start taking that step into something different? Hmm, interesting. But we actually probably have two different stories. Well, so exactly. And I be, want you both to tell your yeah, each, each of your but stories. But related in, in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, um, my mother uh, was born and raised in Naples, Italy, and she came here at the close of World War II. My father was an American soldier who met her during the war and married and sent her uh, over here. Well, she was um, from a background of what I call peasant witchcraft. And so I sort of grew up in the mindset, if you will, of a, of a peasant witchcraft tradition. Uh, folkloric magic, you know, different things. Uh, not, what I would, not what I would call um, extremely structured like we see systems today. But um, when you kind of grow up in that, you know, we were always taught that this is just the things we do. You know, so there wasn't so much labeling on it, but you weren't supposed to be talking to other people about it. So there was an air of secrecy, um, and, and that's, I think, how some of these old ways survived back in the more difficult times was just by keeping your mouth shut about mm, these knowing ways, I'll call them. Um, but then, you know, as I got into my teens, I was longing for the company of people outside of my family, people closer to my own age. So it was in the summer of 1969. I was 18 years old. Um, and I wandered into a little herb shop called Pooh's Pantry in Old Town, San Diego. And um, they had all these herbs and oils and stuff. But it was a tea parlor, basically. You bought it for teas and whatnot. 
So I was going around picking out herbs that to me were specifically for magical and ritual use. And when I brought them up to the counter, the young lady was looking at them and tallying them, and she'd look at them and look back at me, and she goes, well, this is an unusual assortment of herbs. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders. She goes, this wouldn't really make good teas. And she started adding them up. And she goes, but they would be very useful for, and she pauses, other things. <laughs> and tallies them up. So that intrigued me. So I found myself going back, and one day she said, uh, come back after um, we close, and there's something I want to show you. Well, that intrigued me on two levels. <laughs> it is 1969. It was the summer of 1969. I was 18 years old, and I'm thinking, well, whatever she wants to show me is probably going to be beneficial in some way. <laughs> um, but what she showed me was an altar in the back of the shop, which looked very much like what I was used to, but not quite ident identical. And she used the term Wicca, which I was unaware of at that time. So that sort of led me into what I call the Wiccan community. But you see, back in the summer of 1969, Wicca was quite different than what it is today. You know, We all referred to it as witchcraft, and it was really quite different in many ways. So much so that today when I go on to, and I try not to do this often, but I'll go on to Wicca forums, um, and people are asking questions, or you know, people are sharing, so I will share what I know about Wicca, and, and they'll actually come back with, where did you get that from? You know, I've actually had people say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's astonishing that it has changed so much that the people that are cutting their teeth on it now ha don't understand what it was, you know, decades back. Um, but I worked with a, a lot of different traditions and a lot of different Wiccan groups and then kind of left Wicca after I wrote a couple of books on it. Um, <laughs> and then I figured it was really time for me to go back to what I call more rootedness. Um, looking further back at where these things came from and not so much at what we're, how we're doing it now, only because I felt a current that was calling me to do that and to feed me, I guess, spiritually in a way that I think um, I had left some of that behind. So, yeah. Um, then we um, kind of moved on to uh, older forms of witchcraft, and that's kind of the work we're doing together now, and I guess we'll probably talk about sure. that at some point. Mm -hmm. But that's really sort of my story about um, my background and, and how I came to be... Uh, oh, I, I guess I should say that um, for many years back, people used to say to me, you know, oh, you should teach classes. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. You well, you know, what, what you say, you know... You have a way of putting it together where it makes sense. You should be a teacher. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. Why would I want to do that? You know. And then people started referring to me as a teacher. And then I'm like, what? <laughs> and then one day you wake up and you go, oh, shit, I'm a teacher. <laughs> That's the full quote of this entire interview. Because <laughs> it happens, you know. And then you have to stand back and say, well, what does that mean? And, you know, there's a huge amount of responsibility when people turn to you and ask questions, you know, it's just a huge responsibility. And so I think to me it's important to be grounded in rootedness before I turn to someone else and speak. And not and not speaking as Raven, but speaking as the teacher, you know, taking on that hat and yeah. that, that mantle and really kind mm -hmm. of, you know, coming from that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. 
Um, my my story is is different yet similar to Raven's, and that was I grew up in a very bohemian family in the '60s um, in Hermosa Beach, which I don't know if a lot of you know that Southern California it was a beach city, and um, I wasn't raised in any type of organized religion whatsoever. Um, my mother used psychics, she taught me astrology, and she exposed me to what I didn't know was really kind of a magical or kind of mystical life. I didn't really define it as that then, but that's really what it was, and that was really kind of the avenues that I took, because that really interested me. And um, as I went on to be a teenager, I studied more about astrology, I really liked that a lot. And um, all of that led me into really going towards nature. Because I lived at the beach, I really felt nurtured by nature there. I used the ocean a lot. Um, I would go up into Topanga Canyon. I would do all of these like soul-searching journeys. I was just kind of intuitively drawn to that um, versus having had any organized religion. And so um, that's kind of where it led me. And I would say that I never defined it as witchcraft or Wicca, but it certainly kept driving me towards that until I think about, oh, I'd say 25 years ago um, when I was living in San Diego. I met up with um, a high priest and high priestess of a Celtic tradition, and they were teaching coven, and they asked me if I would be interested in joining, and I did, and I stayed with them probably for about five years, and then lo and behold, I went to a workshop. <laughs> it's actually where I met Raven was at a workshop he was giving a series of uh, lectures over a month's time called Wiccan Mysteries and um, I had actually read that book and when I read that book it answered so many other questions that I had that my high priestess my training coven could not answer for me and so I felt like wow this guy really knows his stuff so I went to the lectures and the rest is history <laughs> because uh, from that well from that point on I mean I did I asked if he would be my teacher and at that time he was teaching an initiatory tradition of Strega and um, so I had left with the blessings of my um, other teachers left that and gone to train with uh, Raven and found out then too that coming into the Strega tradition it was really different um, the whole orientation the whole philosophy and direction of that was so empowering and, and it felt very old and very rooted um, and given that it, it was structured but the structure was an important part of that because it allowed to it allowed me to go through a process of personal enlightenment by following these particular steps in this structured way and it was still having, I was still able to have my own personal expression of all of that and my own personal development through that. So even though that seems to be a bad word, structure or foundational, you know, it really is beneficial to somebody who's coming into a new system like that. So, and then we went on to uh, develop more, and uh, now we're kind of at this point, juncture of our. Um, life together, where we're teaching something that's um, much more rooted, much more primal, and um, older, older than what we really kind of look at Wicca as a, as a formula now, or even traditional witchcraft, we don't even call it that either. Well, we're, we're dealing with things now that we call sort of ever-ancient, ever-new, you know, um, drawing from rooted things, but in, in modern ways, because 
I kind of look at the craft as, I mean, if I use the term the craft, I kind of look at it as an ancient tree. And the roots go very deep, and they were the original things that drew the nourishment. Now we have new branches growing and new flowers and fruit appearing and the seeds that are coming. And these are all very important things in the cycle of things, but there has to be root tenders. At least that's how I feel. And I'm an old stick-in-the-mud witch, you know, I sort of, <laughs> I'm a root tender, you know, and um, as, as much as I hate to refer to my writings as fertilizer for the roots, uh, <laughs> um, they, they are. My critics would probably agree. Um, but um, if I could just say a word about tradition real quick. Sure, go ahead. Um, because that's, that's a word that often leaves a bad taste in people's mouths because they, some people feel that tradition sort of takes away your spontaneity and individuality and traps you in a, in a formation. And what I like to share with people about tradition is tradition is like if I was a contractor and you came to me and wanted me to build you a house. I would build you a house in solid, sound, uh, time-honored and time-proven ways in which the fixtures would hold and the walls would bear weight. So I'd, I would traditionally construct this for you. But I would not tell you what colors to paint your rooms or what room goes for what. I wouldn't tell you how to live within your house. But I would provide you with a structure that was sound in which you could enter into it and figure out how to live in that structure. So that's how I like to look at tradition. It's not a shackle, but it is something that will hold the test of time. Guidelines. <laughs> and weather storms. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up tradition because I want to, I wanna, before we go forward further, I want to I wanna go back just a little mm -hmm. bit because uh, as you said, Stephanie, you were uh, in a Celtic uh, traditional mm -hmm. Wiccan coven uh, before you met Raven and mm -hmm. then you... you it went under his teachings, but um, I know for a fact, and I, unless I'm wrong, I remember that you were involved in more than one Wiccan tradition oh, before before you went into, I guess, what you could call the Strega years, right? So the mm, you, well, I mean, kind of almost reversed. So, sort of. Well, I mean, but I, I know that you were involved in in multiple other traditions. Other yes. traditions. Yeah. yes, and and as you said before, you started doing your own teachings. You actually wrote a couple books on witchcraft. That came out. True. So, what did you? What did you? How did you get into those traditions? What did you? And what did you feel you got out of them? Hmm. You know, what? What was it that, that attracted you to those strains of tradition? And mm -hmm. you know, did they teach you anything for when you went through to what you're doing now? I mean, how did? Yeah. And and Stephanie, you can also you can chime in on that mm -hmm. as well, since you kind of came from a, a, one mm -hmm. tradition and moved on to others. So, what what did those different strains, those threads, bring you? Mm -hmm. Well, mine started with the woman in the herb shop. <laughs> but I got connected with some group, uh, originally people that were sort of presenting themselves as Gardnerian. And that was my first entry in, and I believe that they were. And I think they believed that they were. And it really wasn't until much later when I met people who I knew, you know, especially my authorship, you know, Ray Buckland and others, you know, who I knew, knew. And in sharing stories, I realized that my original teachers who claimed to be Gardnerian were not. Um, bit of an embarrassing moment. Um, but I found the material sound, you know. I mean, um, the different traditions, I, I think I fell into them basically by meeting new people. You know, I would be in one group, and, and I always, I never really felt a lot of energy in these circles. They were doing things, and, and Thornton, you talked about that in, in the other 
that people can do things and nothing happens, even though they may feel that they're trained, and then vice versa. People who aren't trained can sometimes just, boom, kill it, you know. Um, and so I, I felt kind of unsatisfied in each place, and then I'd meet somebody, and they sort of had the promise of greater things, you know. And so I would move on, and, and I would work in that. So I was in a, um, what I thought was a gardenerian, and then I was in a group calling itself Pictish Gaelic, tradition, which was really interesting, and one called Britic, which was probably the oddest one that I was in. In, in what way? How was it odd? It, it, <laughs> it bore no resemblance to anything that I would call witchcraft, <laughs> but I mean, that's just me and my filters, you know, Did I'm looking at that. And, yeah, funny hats. <laughs> yeah, we had to do, yeah, these Elf ears. <laughs> um, Elf ears. Big, you know, big slippers. Um, it was it was just odd, and I felt at one point that it was probably the most instantly put together of any one that I was in. Um, and this eventually made me want to go back to my earliest roots, back to the Italian peasant tradition that I talked about, um, because that made sense of a lot of things for me. And I'd spent a lot of time reading occult books. I was reading all the masters, you know, of the time. And there's a, kind of a funny story about that, and many of you may be able to relate. You know, when I was in my 20s, I was reading all the major occult books by all the famous occultists, you know. And I'm reading them, and I think, this is crap. You know? <laughs> and I read some more, and I go, that's stupid, you know. So I'd put them away, you know. And then, like, in my 30s, I was doing research, and I would see references to these books. And I thought, that wasn't in there, you know. So I went back, you know, cracked the book open defiantly, you know, and I'm reading through it. And I'm going, oh, no shit, really? Wow. Yeah. And I went, oh, I see. I was the fool. <laughs> and I, I think that that's kind of been my journey, you know, and, and letting go of that sort of. And in my 20s, I knew everything. You know, now I, I really don't know much. <laughs> but I knew everything back then. Um, but now, you know, I've come to a rooted place where I, I feel... You know, connection and solidity, which is different than the egoic 20-year-old. Um, but that's kind of uh, going through these traditions. I learned, I think, really fundamental rudimentary ritual techniques that what I was looking for most of the time was commonality. Because I'm one that looks at all these different systems, and where I see commonality, I see rootedness, you know? And where I see differences, I, I see someone bringing their own personal expression into that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm a commonality freak because I'm a rooted freak, and, and so I go back to that. So these systems confirmed to me the things I believed most in by their commonality, I guess is what I'd say. So, Stephanie, did you want to answer that? Did you well, want to take, tackle that question as well? Well, I, I just wanted to say that I, th I think over time um, that as you know, going from the teenager who was interested in mysticism and the occult and, you know, the arts of those kinds, that it was about self-searching, you know, for me as a, as a human being, that I was seeking something, um, especially since I didn't have any religious training, you know, um, organized religion, that I really think I was probably searching for something that was grounding and, and you know, going to stabilize me in my search for self. And um, since that was my exposure as a young person, that that was the ley line that I was following. And that as I've matured, that I think I've, you know, I think the seeker 
seeks out what they need. And um, I find it really interesting because Raven and I have talked about this before that the male mind, the way that they seek and their directness and their focus of the way they go. This is not this is generalization. This is not you know about everybody. But in our conversations that we've had, that the male mind really kind of seeks. Um, like he was saying, ritual techniques and ways to do things, where in my search it's been much more soul... I mean, not that he's not soulful, but it's been much more soulful and about knowing myself and about my my inward um, introspection of spiritual evolution. And um, I think that as that time go- has gone on, that that has evolved my seeking and then my process into wanting to find things that were more rooted and primal and sensory and not so much about technique and organization and that type of thing. Although that has its place because I, I did have that first and now I'm moving into something, you know. Well, I'm older now, so now it's it's becoming, I think I, I'm looking for more simplification of things. I'm younger than that now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, yeah. uh, so uh, let's talk about Strega a little bit. I think no. I think the book you published on Strega was it called Strega, right? I think Originally, the first the title was Ways of the Strega, Ways of the Strega. and then it was and retitled Italian Witch. No, I remember when I was a when I was a wee baby witch. Uh, I remember that you were quite the figure of controversy. Still, oh, yeah. still are. Well, in some, in some, but in different you, ways though. You, now. You've you've grown uh, you've grown in in stature, I think, to a certain degree. But I I, I seem to remember a lot about the the controversy swirling around this book at the yeah, time, yeah. and. You know, so how did so? What made you decide to finally say, "I'm going to write this book about yeah. the way of the Strega"? What, yeah. what, how did that come about? And then, what was it that you think that made everybody so mad? I think about, you should address about, that first. Yeah. Controversy. Well, okay, so. I'll, I'll preface this by saying, uh, "I'm just a soul whose intentions are good." <laughs> <laughs> Really, um, what happened with, um, answer why I wrote the book? No, what the controversy was. Oh, why, the controversy. Why the controversy? Oh, the, the, why the, why the controversy, controversy, yeah, the controversy initially was that I was trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes, that I was trying to present the book Ways of the Strega as pure Italian craft without anything in it, and this was really the old secret stuff. Well, interesting. And I was, bringing, I was bringing it out. Yeah. And that it was, I was claiming it to be my family tradition, which I have never, ever said in any of my writings. People will say, oh, you, you claim this and that. And I said, show me where. Because I have never said that in any of my writings. People have said it about me, and publishers have said it about me, but I've never said it. Um, so the, the controversy was that, that I was making it up. And trying to you know pull it off and to make big bucks you know off which, the which seems like a weird con- which seems like a weird accusation to make since a lot of people back in that time hmm. were making it up. Well, this was the thing I thought ironic. <laughs> it's like everyone else can do it. Why can't I? You know, <laughs> it's like they would say, you know, well, we embrace diversity except Raven Grimasi. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, what? <laughs> um, but really, my idea about the book was I wanted to, everything back in that day, and this is the early 90s, almost everything out there was Celtic. And that was great, but a lot of us don't have Celtic roots and backgrounds, and I felt that we were kind of left out and there wasn't really a place for us, per se, to seek our roots or to look for signposts, you know, to to get a a fix on our Southern European heritage. I thought that was unfair. Um, So I decided to write a book, but I knew I couldn't write about a lot of the stuff because a lot of the stuff wasn't meant to be passed on, 
And I was, I was trained by elitists who believe that these were the blood teachings and nobody should be talking about those. That kind of elitist attitude. I don't know that I really had that, but I think I had a, a, a case of it. So I was looking at, I wanted to bridge things. And to me, the Wiccan models that I knew about and had been taught seemed the obvious way to go. So I used a lot of Wiccan models, but I said so in the introduction later to find out that few people read introductions. Um, so I laid all of this out of why I wrote the book and that it was mixed with Wiccan concepts and that I was trying to give an overview of general uh, Southern European ideas and many of which I believed had influenced Celtic beliefs and Wicca. And so then the book came out and then it was just an attack on, oh, this is Wicca with marinara sauce. <laughs> And I said, well, it's kind of what I said in a way. <laughs> you know, um, so they all knew you claimed this was, you know, pure Italian craft. I said, please quote me. Give me the page. Because if I said that, I'd like to retract it, you know. But no one ever could give me the page well, on which If I remember saying. correctly, I could be wrong, but it, the book itself did very quite well. It, it did initially, which surprised me because the, the publisher wanted to retitle it Italian Witchcraft because they thought that maybe Strega wasn't really a well-known term, and it wasn't back in that day, yeah. not universally like it is now. So they thought retitling would boost sales, but I thought the book had done very well. well but then my, my, my critics um, at the time, because there was a lot of critics around the ways of the Strega book, and my favorite story is um, somebody developed this idea that the publisher changed it from ways of the Strega to Italian witchcraft because all the real Strega in Italy bombarded Wollowellen with phone calls and letters <laughs> complaining about me claiming to be Strega or teaching Strega. So they switched it to Italian witchcraft like that would make a difference um, <laughs> to protect themselves from the hordes of Strega who had come from every remote mountain village, <laughs> stormed down to the payphone or the, the computer or you know, whatever to get hold of Llewellyn. And I tried to point out that there was there is no central government in Stregaria and in Italy to organize the tribes to descend from the hills. And, um, but it was my favorite story because they even had an issue with the title being changed. It's like, yeah. Mamma mia. Yeah. <laughs> hmm? What's that? You can't buy that kind of You, you can't buy that. Yeah, they say, yeah, any publicity is good publicity. Well, it did go on. I mean, it did go on to do, you know, not even better, but it, it, it kept selling, you know, as Italian witchcraft. And it was um, one of the things that Raven insisted on at that time was they were just going to recover it and just send it out as the same book. And he said, no, you can't do that because my readers will, you know, be irate about that, thinking that it's a new book on Italian witchcraft. So he insisted that, you know, he write new material for it and put in, a, I think, a couple of appendices. I put in two chapters, uh, new appendices, and then I embellished a couple of mm -hmm. chapters because I, I hate that when you, when you think, oh, this is a new one. Then you get home and it's the same one you've had, but they just have a new cover on it. Now you've got the same material. So I thought if anybody falls into that trap, at least they do have some new material in the book. So... Now, so now that we've done the country, I wanted yes. you know I wanted That's to, fine. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to you know, take a little detour there, sure. but yeah. so I think it's a good thing. To yeah, be able to talk about yeah, it. I wanted to talk about it because I think that well, because I, I first off I, I don't want that history to be lost, and I, secondly I think I think that even our controversies say a lot about who we are as a community, and I think that the things yeah. that we care about enough to fight about 
I think yeah. says something about us. Yeah. So, so, um, so Strager came out. So now, mm. but now you're you're. Let's. I mean, I'm looking at the time. I don't want to mm. go over. I want to, and I hopefully maybe leave a little bit of time for people who want to ask questions of you guys. So, okay. you know, let's move forward to what you're doing now and how this is both similar to what you've both been doing for years now, but but it's something new and a little bit different, and you're kind of, you know, developing something mm-hmm. that's ancient but new. And so let tell me a little bit about Old World Witchcraft. What, what is, what's what's your deal? Yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> what's, <laughs> explain yourself, Kamasi. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is very ancient tradition. Right? <laughs> um, the um, Old World Witchcraft isn't really meant to be about a place, like you might think old Europe, it's really meant to be about a mentality. Um, we both arrived at a place, and I'm not, maybe you remember, but I don't remember how we got there exactly. Um, but we started looking at the models that we've been working with and the things that we've been connected to, and I felt that so much of it was a cultural expression of one way or another about the one truth, if we can say that word. And I thought, yeah, you know, the Italian is one perspective of this truth, and the Celts and the Germanics, and, you know, we're all looking at what I call the crystal. You know, when I used to do teachings, I'd bring out a sort of an odd-shaped crystal, and I'd sit in the center of a group, and I'd have everybody tell me what it looked like. And everybody would tell me it looked like something different. So then at the end, I would say, well, if we join all of our visions of the crystal together, we'd actually can collectively know what it, it looked like, rather than what we're seeing looks like. So kind of my craft kind of went there at one point. It was like, you know what, I feel a need to release a cultural connection. I feel a need for something older, you know, more spirit of the land itself, like the earth to teach me its memory. And that, that brought in this, this thing that really kind of was the, the crux of it what happened, yeah. Yeah. is we, from a spiritual perspective, we tapped into the organic memory of the earth, or that's what we feel and what we call shadow. You know, all living things that were upon this planet passed into the earth, and the earth is made of crystalline formations. And we know that crystals hold energy and direct energy, so the thought of the memory of the earth itself, almost an organic Akashic records, if you will, within the earth. And so we started tapping into that, and we felt a communication coming back. And it was like somebody said, oh, you want the old lost ideas. Or you want the things that people aren't talking about anymore. And we went, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> and so it said, okay. And it began communicating. I mean, this may sound bizarre to you, but you're probably spiritual people, so maybe it doesn't. You know? But um, the spirit of the land was, was talking, and, and the ancient memories were talking. And I fell away, I, I, I write in my intro to the, I have a grimoire coming out which is based upon this book, and I write about falling into the great cauldron, and it just boiled away my, my identity. And I came up out of that, no longer an Italian witch or a Celtic witch, I came out a witch. And when I did that, I'm getting the show right now, when I, get that, when I did that, it was such a release, and such an opening up, I was no longer filtering away things. You know, I was just saying, tell me. <clears throat> and it could talk to me because I wasn't listening as an Italian or a Celt or anything. I was just listening. And that made a huge difference. And that's where the Ashburton Willow tradition came from that we practice now. Well, and also part of that, um, that whole process, too, was 
um, with Raven, uh, those of you who know Raven's books, he's, he is a preeminent researcher of a lot of what he does, and, and entomology is a huge part of what he does as well when he does his research. And if you've read any of his books, you'll know that the oldest word for which, known word for which, is pharmacute. In Western culture. In Western culture, which goes back to the idea that the witch were plant people. They were the knowers of the plants. And so we've kind of even switched from the idea of really thinking of ourselves as witches, but really connecting more again to the spirit of the land, to the trees, to the plants that we work with, and really making the statement that we're pharmacute instead of witch. Especially to the land. To stand rooted in the land and to, to, to call down into shadow and to say, I am pharmacute. And it's like the memory of the earth goes, I remember your people. You know? um, because today in the plant kingdom, we're kind of known as the termite people. You know? yeah. and, but the, the memory that the earth startles when you say I'm pharmacute is like, wow, there's hope, you know. Um, to get back to that old rooted way of thinking. We've even started dropping the word tradition and we replace it with rootedness or rooted ways or rooted thought, you know, rather than saying the word tradition. Well, um, it's like you're both advocating a different relationship. Yeah, absolutely. True. That That's so, such a good way of true. saying it. It is a different relationship. It's participation. It's not, you know, it's not doing ritual and things to call in things. It's actually getting into the land and communicating with the land and the things that are organic about that, um, which is really important. We, now, to say that, too, that we're, we, we understand and connect with the spirit of the land, but we have a, um, <clears throat> what we call an alignment. Is that what you call mm, it? Yeah. An alignment that we always start, like, every day with. And... Um, Thorne was saying how important it is earlier, too, that you begin every day with a statement about who are you and what are you about, knowing thyself, which really kind of sets the whole tone for your day and your spiritual talk. And one of the things that we do is we, the, the reason I'm saying this is because it's not just about the land, it's about reaching back up to the stars for where we feel we came from. Right. So we start with... The alignment. You yeah. know, say Pharmacute and go into the alignment? Yeah. So the alignment, just to share it with you, is um, I am Pharmacute. I am descended from, from the stars. Faded by the sun. sun envisioned by the moon. Given form by the land. And, and I stand with feet rooted in shadow and reach upward towards the stars. And that's how we begin our day, and the energy just, you know, and you're there, you know, and it's just an amazing place to be. And every time you do something like that, it, it, it just shifts you. It shifts you into this energy ley line that you can't help but do. And, and as you're saying, the discipline, that the importance of doing that for self is really, is really preeminent to understanding self and keeping moving forward in your process. But I think the important part, too, is, you know, while it's all well and good to develop yourself, and you should, um, I, I think that to retain that is kind of selfish. I think to then turn around and, 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 and give ways in that have been proven to you as, as, as what, sound, workable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to see if others maybe can benefit by that, you know, and that's really all it is, opening doorways that, that might be beneficial. Uh, based upon your experience and not your knowledge alone. 
Well, I think that's what you find out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what you find out. But one of the reasons, too, why I do a lot of research is because I don't want my readers to quote me and then be bit in the ass because I was wrong. <laughs> because I think that's a terrible thing for an author to do. Um, and so what I try to do is as much research as possible when I bring ideas and things out so the reader can say, you know, uh, at least it's rooted in these ideas and that's my understanding of it. So rather than me just saying it, so I like to to give the reader something where it's not just Gramasi yapping, they can then go back and say, you know, well, but this guy said it too, you know, maybe divert attention to him, you know, <laughs> away from me, you know. Well, we have about 10 minutes left. So first off, do, you, anyone, do anyone have any questions for the Gramasis? Feel free. Yeah? Okay, so... Okay, well, I just yeah. wanted to make sure, because if everyone's like, no, nah, we don't have any questions, Thorne we're good, has, then we could just... Yeah. yeah Thorne has but, a question. Well, I'm going to be one of those obnoxious people and not have a question, but oh. I just... Physicist Brian Cox uh -huh. says this thing that you were just saying. Oh. He says, encoded deep in the biology of every cell, in every blade of grass, in every insect's wing, in every bacterium cell, is the history of the third planet from the sun in a solar system making its way lethargically around a galaxy called the Milky Way? Mm. Oh my God! Beautiful. That's oh. wonderful. Beautiful. Right? I yeah. had to share that because that's so cool. The, those same words were just coming out of both of your mouths. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and there's you know there's a resurgent. There's a communication coming from the Greenwood, and this is really important to us in our work now because when we started working with plant spirits and. and um, I have a grimoire coming out in August, which has all this stuff in it. If Who's you're publishing it? Wiser. From Wiser Books. Wiser. Okay, so there you go. Um, Make a note. One of the things that the Greenwood spirit said to us is, to us as humans, it said, why do you spend your time creating stories of your own doom? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> why... Why do you create this mythos of your destruction? And it said, have you not seen the way that this world is? Have you not seen spring, summer, fall, winter, return to spring, summer, fall, winter? Look at your major cities where you've built your skyscrapers and paved everything. Walk down the sidewalk, see a crack. What do you see in the crack of any of your human cities? A weed a plant, you know, and they say, you know, you, <laughs> survival is assured because this is evergreen. Become evergreen and you will survive. Lose the green and you will succeed in your own prophecy of doom. The choice is yours. And so we really feel now bringing that out everywhere we go, talking about the Greenwood message. Because there was a time when humans lived in common cause with nature. And I believe that the Great Mother is speaking out and crying out for the return of those souls to get back to a time it remembered when people did live in human common cause with it. And that's everyone sitting here looking at me. These are all the souls that have returned to turn the tide, so to speak, at this moment. And so I'm, I'm actually very hopeful. I hear news and all these people doom and gloom, and I, and I say no, no. Would you say that? Would you say that your your attunement with the plants and with nature has it made you more radical in a way in your defense of, of the earth? Has, it, has hmm. it shifted your your politics? 
No, because we've never really been political. I mean, we've never really felt that that was our role. I, I mean, we're, we're green-minded. Really, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. we do all the basic, you know. I mean, definitely we're green-minded. We're just not sure. But we're not political. Yeah. We've never been, and I admire people who are, and those people are needed. I've just, that's never really been, our except call. for a brief moment in the 60s mm -hmm. with my protest signs. But, <laughs> but what it's brought to me is... Um, I'm more driven now to make people feel what I'm talking about than to read my book or you know hear a recording or whatever, but to be and feel it because I think that sensory thing is like, yes, that feels true. Whereas a book's nice, but I want people to feel it because I think it's coming through us from the Greenwood and I, and I think that that's, it's a more gentle sort of steady movement, I guess, network sort of. You know, trees communicate by releasing chemicals from their leaves, and also through the roots they connect with fungi, and the fungi are the neural connectors that communicate. This has been proven. Um, so once you start the breath, which is the chemical release from the plants, once you start the breath, the communication flows out upon that. And if you can make somebody feel something rather than hear it, I think you're 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 doing the right thing and. That's where our energy is in the Greenwood. It's trying to make people feel it so it's real to them. So, okay, do you have a question? Very quick. Um, my father is a, um, a very lost, uh, he's been pay, you know, pagan his whole life, but he, like you were talking about tradition turning into just um, going back, he deals with a lot of, in my mind, just like karmic issues over mm. and over and mm. over. And I think it's because he is not rooted in, he, he kind of picks and chooses from each thing what he likes. He, um, you know, does a lot of healing and crystal work, but still lets his kind of human desires run a lot of what he does. What would you tell someone like that to um, encourage them to get on a, whether it be a rooted path or a pick one and stick with it or, uh, you know, I mean, he, he basically finds it, um, I think the traditional pagan as far as, um, you know, the sexuality behind it, um, the connection to humans, but he lacks um, some compassion. He's a little bit sociopathic. Like, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, and so I, I'm trying to, because I feel like I have a lot um more rooted faith. I feel like I'm an older soul than him, and so I, I and my family am um, the one who is the peacekeeper, is the gatherer, is more of the, the mothering one. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find a way to get to him to understand that he's all going over the place. All over. Yeah, that's okay. I don't know. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you, have, you, know, you have five minutes. Five, solve, I, I, solve this problem. I can do it. I can do it in three. <laughs> well, you know, this is this is problematic, and I and I don't mean to to offend anybody because that's that's not where I come from. But I think that there is a um, I hate to use the word problem, but there's something problematic about eclectic systems because they're drawing from so many things that may not even be harmonious with it with each component. And um, whereas rooted ways connect with things that are naturally there already and they're already communicating. And, and um, so sometimes you can confuse yourself, I guess is what I'm trying to say, with eclectic gatherings, you know, because it's just so much and so much. 
it's almost like you don't feel nourished, so you need another piece, and then you go get this, and pretty soon, you know, you've got an American headdress on, holding an Egyptian onk, you've got Roman sandals, you've got Indian, you know, I mean, just, you know, you're just everything at once. (laughs) And I think that that can confuse some people. Um, So... You know, it, it it's like what I would say to somebody, uh, there was a story, I don't have time, but I'll try to shorten it, that these anthropologists went to a group of shamans down in, like, South Africa, America or someplace, and who were renowned for their great wisdom and magic, and they went to them, and through the interpreter, they said, we're just so honored to be with you in your presence because of your reputation, we want to learn everything about you. And the shamans were sort of looking at each other, you know, funny and... So the shaman said, the head guy said to the person, well, you know, we're really very flattered that you would come to us to learn, but the truth is when we want to learn something, we go talk to the trees. So this is the idea of the real teachers, I think, are oak and boulder. You know, the real teachers are there already, and you don't have to hunt them down in a shop somewhere. So I would just say to him, if you can get him to do that, to just sort of, temporarily suspend where he's at that's not easy but and to sit and with rock and and dirt and tree and ask the deep questions and ask for guidance and you know ask to be made whole I guess you know to bring it all into place because if you put forth that with with sincerity um, I think there's a resonance that comes back but you have to listen when it comes back so if you could get him to temporarily suspend all the intellectual stuff going on in his head. You know, one thing I used to want to do with initiates now in our system is to get a bag of soil, sit it out in the sun so it gets moist inside, and the first thing they do is cut the bag open and dig their hands into the dirt and smell it, put it on their face and their arms, you know. Um, that's If that makes sense, that's kind of what I'm offering. Yeah. Jason's got something to say. No, I'm just going to oh. say we're just about out of time. Oh, no, so, I first off, so first off, I wanted to thank uh, Raven and Stephanie for uh, giving their time to us today. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, both, uh, both of them are having some wonderful programming and some Fairy Academy classes throughout this weekend, That's and right. they, they have a table down in the vendors' room mm-hmm. where you can buy their books and uh, other wonderful things. So, please do that. Uh, and thank you all for coming. Thank yes, you. thank you so much. Thank you Appreciate it. Have a wonderful time.